Radio. So this is a little bit different, Brendan. I had a specific request of someone to be here. Okay. Uh, and uh, he's from, you know, he's from Republican heaven. Um, he wanted to come down and set a few things straight, okay. uh, especially after last week's movie. So um, I just want to introduce, this is uh, Phil. And Phil is a, a draftsman by trade. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Phil. Thanks for coming in. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. Phil, um, you actually came to me specifically uh, from Republican Heaven, uh, uh, contacted me in the way that, you know, is normally done. You all out there know about that, how that normally happens. I don't have to explain it to you. Jason, for us to go through that process, I mean... It would take a long time. But you, you but that's the thing, is most people that listen to this podcast, they get how it works. Yeah. They're not stupid. No. Phil... It's like it. the Rainbow Bridge in Thor, but not. Yeah. Uh, and not like the Rainbow Bridge that was the band that Jimmy Pardo was in in high school. That's a deep joke for Never Not Funny fans. Enjoy. Uh, Phil, oh yeah, I'm still here. Yeah, Phil, <laughs> Phil, you wanna you wanted to address something because we watched a, a film called The Draftsman's Contract. Was that what it was called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Draftsman's Contract last week. Yes, yes, you did. And you wanted to talk a little bit about it. So if you would like the floor, Phil. This is Phil, a draftsman from Republican Heaven. Okay. Uh, Jason, Brendan, it's lovely to meet you. Oh, I'm a big fan of your podcast. Oh. I like uh, the movies you watch. You do a good job. I just wanted to make a, a short statement. Uh, draftsman is an honorable profession. I did it in my life, and I continue to do it in Republican effort. It's a necessary thing. Buildings need to be designed, and they need to be built. We are professionals, Brendan and Jason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We are professionals. The movie you watched last week was not an accurate representation of our draftsmen operates. Number one, we work strictly on a contract commission. (laughs) Now, I know the fellow in that film claiming to be a a draftsman, he signed up a contract, but we have a very strict form that we use. No. I don't think this is funny. Okay, sorry. Do I? Do do I look like I think this is funny, Brendan? No, no, you don't think... No, it's not funny, man. That's right, it's not funny. We have a very strict form contract that we use. And in that contract are a very specific and professional set of expectations that we as draftsmen have to provide. Yeah. What happened in this movie where we had a combination of a ridiculous timetable, 12 days and 12 drawings. Absolutely goddamn ridiculous. Pardon my language. I'm trying to be cleaner. But then, most of all, the biggest problem with this was that there was a, 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 a clause, if you will. Mm-hmm. Well, this draftsman had to have relations with the lady of the house. And I will tell you that that is not acceptable. Not in the modern draftsman's trade, Brendan. Not here on earth and not up there in the right Republican heaven. The right right wing Republican heaven. Well, no, I mean the Irish Republican heaven. That's right. Oh, okay. You're in the the okay one. Well, I try. I've worked in both. And I'll tell you, it's just, it's a little bit better over there. They got better pubs. Yeah. Better pubs. They don't do a lot of drinking in Republican heaven. You know why? The Mormons run a lot of it. Oh. Yeah. Didn't, didn't see that coming. I figured it'd be the evangelicals, but now the Mormons, they got a, got our hands and everything, don't they? That's the fucking twist. See, that's the thing. is the Catholics, they like to drink. <laughs> so it's a lot more fun. Mm. I just don't want anybody to hear me say Anyway, point is, Brendan, I just want to say, I don't think the draftsmen in that 
sh- in that movie you watched is representative of us as a profession. Yeah. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Uh, I have uh, a, a house up in Republican Evan that I have to draw. It's for uh, Michael Collins, the former leader of the uh, Irish Rebellion. Good fella. Uh, and he has a very big house in Republican Evan. He's a bit of a big wig around there, you know what I'm saying? Anyways, fellas, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Phil, for coming, and I'm, I'm a, I appreciate that you were able to set the record straight. Thank you for letting me do so. All right, jetpack. So he was still a ghost. Yeah, he was from Republican Heaven. I don't think they have living people in Republican Heaven. Listen, Jason, you said this wasn't going to be on the test. I didn't fully pay attention. Look, I have a whole book about this. I've written an entire book. I've, I've taken an L. Ron Hubbard approach and just been oh. writing down for days. I, I've been doing a lot of a lot of speed and just writing. What What are your thetans at right now? Oh, they're very high. They're very high. But I'm working on it, and I should be clear by the end of the week. Okay, okay. Well, cheers to that. <laughs> cheers to getting sued oh, by the what, Church of Scientology. 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 Oh, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, you're saying Giantology. Oh, Giantology. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're very big. They're very big people, and uh, they're waiting Z-News return. Tom Cruise, literal skyscraper. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's the thing. Is it? That's why Scientology works. It made him taller. Yep, now he's like up to Nicole Kidman's, I don't know, neck? That's right, he's, he's getting there. One of these days, he's going to get her back. What? I assume that's why they broke up. <laughs> They're just going to hook up again? She's going to be like, well, there's something different about you now, Tom. Oh, sorry, like, there's, Tom! There's something, there's something different about you now, Tom. I'm trying, oh, this is a bad Australian. Tom, there's something different about you. There's, there's something... What Ship are we on the Bobby? There's something listen, different about you, Tom. Listen, we're, we're torturing the listeners right now. <laughs> Yeah, I guess it's just point for is, us. Point is, Tom Cruise is wants to be t- as tall as Nicole Kidman, so she'll take him back and they can fuck again. And Scientology will give him that. <laughs> right. That's all you need. That's to all believe. you need to know. Right. Otherwise, you also need to know that this is a podcast. This is a podcast about British film, Brendan. I feel famous because I'm Brendan and I'm Jason, and this is a podcast called For Screen and Country. And this podcast, Jason, what the fuck do we do? Well. Technically, we talk about British film, although increasingly it's just been a way for us to fuck around. So, but we, we, I promise you, we have a film we're going to talk about today, and it's a very exciting film. The Day After Tomorrow. Is that a British film? Dennis Quaid's in it. Oh, probably not. He's British. That's a TV film. Is oh, I'm thinking of The Day After. That's a different movie. No, Day After Tomorrow is decidedly that's, not a British film. That's that's the uh, that's the environmental catastrophe. Although movie. although Roland Emmerich directed it, so is he British? <laughs> oh, he's not from here. I'm assuming that means British. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, he, it sounds like a Dutch name, but no, he's foreign, so he's probably British. <laughs> Because all foreigners talk with British accents. We've learned this from American listen, movies. Listen, me thinking that every foreigner is British is like the lowest form of racism. Oh, like that's there's perfect. Like, yeah, like yeah. There's, I, I mean like the least, like the least form of racism. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Jason, we are going to talk about a movie this week, though. We are going to talk about a movie that is number 28 on the BFI Top 100. We are going to talk about a movie, Brendan, that is near and dear to my own heart. But before we do that, we are going to read some comments... About last week's film, The Draftsman's Contract. We have to read some comments. Why do we always start this with a song? That's on you. That's on me. I'll be free. Jason, you're gonna have to start because I'm in a musical mood. Hey. That was Brendan Wall with his great hit, Comments. Coming up next, John Benjamin banging on a piano. 
I thought I was dead. What am I doing here? <laughs> well, I'm back, and I'm back from the grave. I'm Casey Kasem, but mixed with Carol Channing. <laughs> we had a baby, and that's me. That's what's happening right now in heaven. Carol Channing just showed up recently, and Casey Kasem's like, Well, hello there, Carol. You've come at just the right time. Or should I say, you're going to come soon. Ew. Carol Channing said, oh, I love your show, Casey Kasem. That's a terrible Carol Channing. Is this Republican heaven or Irish Re- Republican heaven? Uh, that's not, to, uh, that I don't know. I think okay. that this might have been in the foyer. Okay. So comments about the draftsman's contract, Jason. We got to read some of these here. I did ask the people, uh, Peter Greenway, the director, if the, I'll also ask them if this was the... You spoke uh, personally to Peter Greenway? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. I asked everybody if... Uh, if this is the Peter Greenaway movie they would put on the list, because I know he had like quite a few, and there were some that are on, uh, you know, Criterion and stuff, so I just thought I'd throw that out there. Throw too. that question out there. So Vincent Francone says, "I will always count the cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover as a top ten favorite." Well, apparently that's uh, four of his picks. <laughs> I was gonna say that's a that's a, a quadrilogy. <laughs> Um, I would argue for that over this, but I do indeed enjoy the draftsman's contract. And I did mark that down because The Cook, The Thief, The His Wife and Her Lover, in all seriousness, is a movie I've heard referenced like quite a few times, mm-hmm. or at least talked about, and never actually seen. And it has Helen... Me- I think it has... No, I'm wrong. It doesn't have Helen Mirren in it. Is it but, a prequel uh, to Tinker, Tailor, Soldier, Spy? I can only hope. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, our next comment, Brendan, straight from Andrew Littlefield. And Andrew says, Greenaway's films certainly look great, but they're not for everybody. Thanks for that, Andrew. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's it's a thing. I don't think we really mentioned that because I think we both enjoyed that movie so much, right? Draftsman's contract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like we both. I think we both felt pretty strongly about yeah. it being on the list, so we didn't really uh, we didn't really get into like. Yeah, I can see how this doesn't work for everyone. <laughs> uh, Adam Pellman says I agree with Vincent Francone. And his comment above, The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover should be the Greenaway film that makes the list, but The Draftsman's Contract is probably one of his most accessible films, and it's gorgeous to look at. That also shocked me, because I heard Peter Greenaway was a very artsy, indie director, so I was surprised that I was able to... Thought it would be more esoteric? Yeah, I mean, there was definitely stuff that was weird, and, and, you know, stood out. Wait, was he the guy we talked about that did the weird art film that was just like a list of... Yep. Okay, yeah, yeah, all right, I gotcha. (laughs) Uh, Wendy Carey. Oh, no, sorry, not Wendy Carey. Oh, yep. yeah, Wendy. Wendy, we already talked with Adam. Uh, Wendy, it's your turn. Wendy Carey says, I really like all his films, but my favorite is Drowning by Numbers. I'm assuming the prequel to Murder by Numbers, Obviously, starring yeah. a young uh, Ryan Gosling and Sandra Bullock. Right, right. Yeah. What, was the, what, what was the one with Jack Nicholson around that time? Uh, about Schmidt. No, it was, a, it was like a cop movie. Oh, okay. Uh, Diner. Sure, I don't know. I don't even know. I, I just see Jack Nicholson's face on the cover of the DVD, and he's wearing a hat. And Easy Rider. Turned. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Davis Donovan, which is a fucking sweet name, Davis. That is, that's like a superhero name. I love it. Uh, Davis says, this is my chance to make the argument that the cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover is the best allegory for the Trump presidency I've ever seen, even if it came out in 1989. That's an interesting, uh, that that compels me. I might have to watch that. I, I was, that comment made me feel like, <laughs> I, I wanna, think I'm going to watch this I movie. I want to see where that goes. All right. Um, our old pal, Sharon Horwath. Sharon, again, hasn't seen the movie. I but, haven't seen it! <laughs> but we appreciate her input. I haven't seen The Draftsman, but I love The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover. Greenaway is great with creating atmosphere and just being bonkers in general, so I assume Draftsman is much the same in that way. Well, there you go. Sharon said it's a good movie, so we probably should watch it at some point. Hey, yeah, there you go. Uh, let's see. Uh, ooh, here's a good one. Uh, Julian Oldham. 
If I'm pronouncing that right, I hope so. Mm -hmm. Uh, Julian Oldham says, I watched this when The Favorite came out because Lanthimos cited it as an influence. Who the fuck is Lanthimos? Yorgos Lanthimos is the director of The Favorite. Oh, I gotcha. He also made Dogtooth. You know more about movies than I do. He's fantastic. Watch all his movies. Okay. I like it, but would rather see Sally Potter's Orlando on an updated BFI list. The two have a lot in common, I think. Greenaway's films are exactly my thing on paper, but none of them have completely won me over yet, despite their gorgeous visuals. He reminds me of Derek Jarman in that respect. Again, I have no clue. Caravaggio. Oh, okay, yeah, there we go. Caravaggio. Never again. <laughs> Maybe they're just the type that need rewatching to truly appreciate them. The BFI really loves Greenaway, though. Several of his films are always on their streaming service. Well, he must be important. <laughs> If he's on this list, he's got to be important. I love that insight at the end. Yeah. Well, he's important, I that guess. That was me. That was me. That was bolded. I, was that I was saying unfiltered that. Jason? That's always unfiltered Jason, wow. baby. Well, Jason, our last comment comes from Sam Rappold. And Sam says, What always makes me laugh about this film is how the first two acts of this plot play out like a 70s porno. I.e., isn't there some other way I can pay for my drawings? Uh, it's almost like this is what you would get if Merchant and Ivory had been hired by the Spice Channel. <laughs> yeah, kind of. I mean, this this really is a, a few explicit sex scenes away from a softcore porn. Yeah, I mean, there's boobs in it, so it's well, got that R rating. Yeah, but that's what I mean. That, that gets the R. I, I just mean that gets it the R rating. Um, but yeah, no, <laughs> Spice Channel, wow. It, it is, because it's like, we. I think we even said it's kind of like a, it's a racier version of those period pieces. I don't think we had the Spice Channel here in Canada. What did we have? Do you remember any erotic uh, pay TV channels? Because we had Showcase, which wasn't an erotic TV channel, but on Saturday nights they would play like almost porn. Is that what it was called? I, just what it should have been called, because that's what, and it was probably you know thirteen year old boys like me watching it. Next up on the countdown, almost porn. <laughs> I literally watched a movie called Bubbles Galore, and it's uh, it's um, is that um, Pussy's brother? Well, sister, okay. uh, but it's. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's burned into my memory. I can't remember the exact nature of it, but I remember a lady riding around on a fucking balloon. So, in uh, scantily clad. Guys, if you want a future Brit pick to be all about bubbles galore, please let us know. Uh, well, I don't. I think that's a Canadian movie, Brendan. <laughs> well, well, we'll spoil- save that. We'll save that for the Canadian. Yeah. Spoiler <laughs> alert. <laughs> All right, so that is it, Jason. Those are our comments. Wait. Oh yeah, okay. I do want to. Uh, I want to mention. I want to mention as well. Here we come to the end. We talk about the American Film Institute Top 100 list as a mode of comparison. Uh, this movie, The Draftsman's Contract, was number 80 on the BFI Top 100. And number please, 80, please, maybe I've seen this one. Please. I don't know. Number 80 on the AFI Top 100 is the Jack Lemmon uh, classic, The Apartment. Mm, I should see The Apartment. You really should see The Apartment. Is that 1960? Yeah, Billy Wilder. Did it win an Academy Award that year? I don't remember. Sure, a Billy Wilder movie, probably. I think it it had some awards. See, I, I'm, I'm a Jack. I like a Jack Lemmon, but you know, I watched Grumpy Old Men. But and probably watched Grumpier Old Men. But uh, and, and he was great in his brief role in the Four Hour Hamlet. But the Draftsman's contract has to win by default. Yeah, <laughs> I'm um, sure the Apartment is better. I'm sure I'd like the Apartment more. But Draftsman's contract, I've seen. The Apartment is a is like a stone cold classic. Yeah. I'm actually surprised it's number eighty on the AFI. Um, I have to give it to the Apartment as well. But I do I do want to say this was an a slightly more difficult choice than I thought it was going to be because mm-hmm. I remember going into this movie, I was like. Oh, Caravaggio yeah. again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh. yeah. And it could have been that based on what we said of, of there being a longer version of this, that it, maybe it could have been like more out there and drawn out. And yeah. So who knows? And again, Caravaggio, not like a terrible movie, no. but I just, I didn't want to do Caravaggio again. Yeah. Watching Caravaggio was a chore. 
But yes. also, like, a lot, a lot to love. But we're not here to talk about Caravaggio. We already said that. We have a whole episode. Go back, listen to it, check it out. Let us know. Yeah, it's pretty early on. Yeah-ish. That's somewhere in the past. Who knows? Time has no meaning. Time is a foreign is a foreign country. Yeah, they do things differently there. The past is a foreign country. I fucked it up. Go between was did. a long time ago. It was. It was because a long, a, a long, long time long ago. Long time. But that is it, Jason. We need to move it. Move on to this week's episode. We need to talk about life, of Brian. Yes, folks, I'm going to say it this time. Brendan always gets to gun come in from the clip, but no, it's me this time. Yes, that song can only mean one thing, folks, and that is this week we are watching number 28, Monty Python's Life of Brian. It's that D-O-double-G. Ron, once again, with that B-A-double-D-A-double-crooked-ladder. The new age outlaws. I'm Mr. Ass. <laughs> Yes, folks, this week, 1979 seminal comedy, Life of Brian, from the fine folks at Monty Python's Flying Circus. <laughs> Sounds like they're a sponsor. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, sort of. This episode I mean, really. is brought to you today by the fine folks of Monty Python's Flying Circus. Actually, if you really wanted to say somebody sponsored this movie, it was George Harrison. Oh, well. Yes. We'll get into it. We will. <clears throat> All right, you can take back over now. <laughs> Jason, we, we talked about a Monty Python movie before on this podcast. We did. But that's only because it was a Brit pick, because yes. this movie is the Monty Python movie that is on this list. Yes. It is Monty Python's Life of Brian, or Life of Brian for short, or mm. L-O-B, or Lob. Um, <laughs> we're talking about it. It's number 28 on the list. And this movie obviously stars Monty Python. Monty Python. Playing let's, let's go through them. We got a ton we got, of roles. We got John Cleese, of course. We got Graham Chapman playing the main role of Brian and Biggest Dickest. Yes, and we, the second Wiseman. We've got uh, Terry Jones, of course, directing the film and also doing duty as various characters. We've got uh, uh, Michael Palin, the the fun one. Uh, and we've got Terry Gilliam, of course, uh, doing his animations once again, as well as showing up in very small roles. Yep. So I think that's all six of them. Plus, we've got Carol Cleveland, uh, famous Monty Python female, I guess. She's the go-to lady. Neil Innes. Neil Innes, their music guy who actually just recently died. We missed oh. you, Neil. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think I, I remember I think we mentioned that, that on, yeah. the, on the Flying Circus episode or the sorry, yeah. uh, Holy Grail episode. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we did the whole series. You guys missed that one. It was only a 30-minute episode, weirdly enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, I mean, also, speaking of people who, you know, in this cast that have since passed away, the late, great George Harrison yes. is Mr. Papadopoulos, and I don't know, I don't remember who that was. I don't remember where he was. He's in there somewhere, but there's a lot of people with beards, so okay. who knows? Um, well, and, and um, one second. There's another actor that's in this movie um, that I think it's... So his name is Spike Milligan. He is a very famous British c- comedy guy, yeah. Yeah, so he was apparently just... 
visiting Tunisia, where this movie was being uh-huh. made, his old World War II battlefields, and just there. Huh. And the Pythons, I guess, were like told by someone, hey, Spike Milligan is in town. Maybe you can get him for, like, I don't know, a cameo or something. Wow. So they literally just... Uh, they they literally just went to where he was, found him, and it put him in a put him in a scene. I'll have to look him um, up. I wonder if he was a tunnel rat in World War Two or one of the like because he would have been in the Desert Corps fighting. I don't I don't know. I don't, Corps. I don't even know that he's like prominently in this movie, but he has a cameo. He's that prophet that's, that Brian falls on top of. Oh, is perhaps? he? I, okay. I would say. But he but he's it, <laughs> we do so much research here. Mm. But he's in the movie, and the thing the, the thing was he was only there for like that quick thing, and he had to go, um, so he couldn't be in like any of the close up or publicity shots for the movie. So nobody knew he was in it. So when yeah. he popped up, people were like, "Oh shit!" It was one of those fun cameos, like yeah. uh, Kevin Spacey in Seven. Um, not so fun anymore. <laughs> <laughs> not so fun then, really. I mean, I thought it was pretty that's fun. A, that's a oh yeah, you were like yay. Who's open the box? <laughs> open the box. That was me. That was you, Jason. We can talk about the. I mean, the plot of this movie. I mean, briefly tell us what this movie is. So this movie is set in uh, uh, as the opening titles inform us: Judea, AD thirty-two, uh, Saturday afternoon, just about tea time. Yep. And uh, this movie is about a young man named Brian who lives around the same time as Jesus Christ. And we see the man himself, Jesus Christ, at the very beginning of this movie, preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And that's an important point to bring up right out of the gate here, is this movie got a lot of flack over the years. Uh, Are we going to get into that right away? No, no, we won't get right into that, but I will say that right off the bat here, this is the only time we see Jesus in the movie, and this movie's not about Jesus. We see him twice, because we see him as a baby. That's true, we do see him as a baby. Um, But yeah, this is the only time we see him in his classic Jesus phase, uh, giving the classic Sermon on the Mount. Right. Uh, A lot of classics here. Um... Anyways, Brian lives in Judea this time. He sees Jesus giving the Sermon on the Mount, and and he himself starts to, uh, he wants to get involved against the Romans because he finds out his father is a Roman and he hates the Romans. So he ends up joining up with the People's Front of Judea, one Mm -hmm. of the many uh, resistance groups at this time, and one of the great pieces of satire in this movie, uh, because fuck the... People's fr- wait, the People's Front of Judea, People's Liberation Front. There's the and the Popular Front, which is that one guy over there that they call a splitter. Hmm. <laughs> but yeah, so he joins up with the People's Front of Judea, the PFJ. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because there's also the Judean People's Front. Yeah, Fuck there's all that one. Yeah. Um, and they go to strike up, strike back against the Romans, and he gets involved with a lady named Judith Iscariot, who's also in there, and he he has sex with her at one point. But over the course of this, he accidentally becomes a messiah of sorts. While fleeing the Romans, he ends up falling on top of another guy that's pretending to be a messiah, and he starts giving a speech, and people start following him, and he unintentionally becomes this Christ-like figure, even though he has no desire to do so, and is trying very much to get away from it. And this all culminates eventually in him being crucified at the end of the movie. Uh, that's your plot. That's your plot, basically. Yeah. yeah, and and it is a you know it's enough of a plot to hang many of Monty Python's classic jokes and sketches uh, uh, in a coherent form. Right. Not not like Life of uh, or Meaning of Life, certainly, which is more of a sketch compilation. This is an actual coherent plot. It is. Um, I do want to say though, right off the top, though. As far as I remembered, this was more of a coherent plot than this movie was because, like, I feel like. It still kind of felt like there were bits, like yes. specific bit to bit to bit to oh, yeah. bit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like we have the stoning scene, which is one yeah. kind of contained sketch. And then we have the haggling scene, which is one kind of contained sketch. And Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. And then we have the crowd scene later yeah. and stuff like that. So, I mean, it does kind of still retain a little bit of that feeling, but mm. it definitely yeah, definitely more feels more like a film than just like a like – a, 
honestly, and this I don't mean this as a negative thing, but Holy Grail feels to me like an extended episode. Yes. Like they have a running theme, but it's still pretty like sporadic. You know what I mean? It's still pretty spotty. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I mean, this, there's a reason this one is on the list. It is the most coherent of all the Monty Python films and definitely presents the most, like, solid vision, I suppose, of all those. Yeah, I mean, and then you get the meaning of life, which is literally a sketch comedy Yeah, movie. and it's great. It, 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 I love it in its own way, but it's not It's not as much of a just a good movie as mm. this one is. Um, and this movie looks great, too. That, that's the first – honestly, that's my first note for yeah. this whole thing is – to me, okay, to me, you have all these, like, parody movies that come out now. So you have, like, the fucking date movie and epic movie and all that bullshit. And it looks really cheap, right? Yeah. Everything looks shitty. Everything looks low budget. And it not only are the jokes bad, but, like, I feel like that adds to it. Like, mm. that just makes it even worse. Yeah. This movie, right off the bat, even if the jokes were terrible and the yeah. comedy wasn't funny, which we know obviously isn't true. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, the settings and the production design and the yeah. look of the movie... It looks like it could just be an epic. Yeah, I mean, for the fact they went all the way to Tunisia, number one, which is also where they filmed Star Wars. Star Wars, yeah. Among other things. And I'm sure Lawrence Arabia probably filmed nope, there at some just point. Star Wars and, and <laughs> Life of Brian. Yeah, um, yeah it, it, it looks real. The costumes all feel real. Like, they feel like they're dirty and worn. And, and despite the fact that everybody speaks in thick British accents, it does feel authentic in that way. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And, I mean, not to skip ahead, but, I mean, this movie had a budget of about $4 million, which at the time, like, was nothing That's to sneeze at. solid budget, but, like, yeah. still not, not, like, blockbuster level. No, and, and so I was going to say, it's a mixture of, like, I feel like they do they do well with that money in terms of the production and the look of the movie. Yeah. Um, but it's also, like, it's also, like, that. I think that was quite a bit in 1979. Yeah, but even then, it's like, you think about, like, Cleopatra, which cost, like, $40 million a decade before. And, okay. And, you know what? Cleopatra looks great, but like Huge Life success. of Brian looks really good too. Cleopatra yeah, was massive, a massive, massive box of success. All the ladies wanted to see Rex Harrison as uh, Caesar. Yep. Oh, hello, I'm Caesar. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so the look again, yeah, the look of this movie—it just feels like an authentic film, and yeah. I think that adds right away before you Absolutely. get into the silliness, before you get into like the sketch comedy. It, that's you need a foundation, and that's actually a similar thing about Holy Grail too. If we go back and talk about that a little bit, is this movie and that movie both are so grounded and grimy and dirty, like they feel real, and yeah. I think that helps with the comedy because they don't feel like they're fantastical fantasy settings. You know, they're they're real historical periods, and it comes across. And now, I mean, obviously, it's maybe not historically accurate, and maybe you know, it's not perfect, but it feels that way, and that's what you want from a movie, as far as I'm concerned. Exactly. Like it honestly feels like I'm just watching. A goofy comedy version of, uh, like, Ben-Hur. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, we've seen, like, comedy history movies before that are, you know, kind of cheaper. And they still are funny and they work. Like, you know, funny thing happened on the way to the Forum or, I don't know, um, History of the World Part yeah. 1. Your like, Highness. Your <laughs> your Highness. Jesus Christ. <laughs> classic. Classic mm. Hollywood film. Um, but, and I smoke a lot of weed and I didn't even see that movie. <laughs> I mean, I had Danny McBride. How bad can it be? Yeah. I love Danny McBride, but... <laughs> yeah, anybody look, can be bad in a movie listen it, lo- it doesn't look good uh so yeah i mean that i guess yeah that's so it's right off the bat it looks amazing um can we talk about the sermon on the mount actually can we just listen to it for sure. a second um because i think this is one of the major one of the main and and i know this is a monty python movie so this sounds crazy but i think this is one of the main themes yes um in the movie well i'll call you a thing that's got astounding you can go to a stoning anytime. 
Oh, come on, Brian. Will you be quiet? Don't pick your nose. I wasn't picking my nose, I was scratching. You was picking it while you was talking to that lady. I wasn't. Leave it alone, give it a rest. Do you mind? I can't hear a word he's saying. Don't you do you mind me? I was talking to my husband. Well, go and talk to him somewhere else. I can't hear a bloody thing. Don't you swear, my wife. I was only asking her to shut up so he can hear what he's saying, big nose. Don't you call my husband big nose. Well, he has got a big nose. Could you be quiet, please? What was that? I don't know. I was too busy talking to big nose. I think it was blessed are the cheesemakers. What's so special about the cheesemakers? Well, obviously, it's not meant to be taken literally. It refers to any manufacturers of dairy products. See, if you haven't been going on, we'd have heard that, big nose. Hey, say that once more, I'll smash your bloody face in. Better keep listening. Might be a bit about blessed are the big noses. Oh, lay off him. Oh, you're not so bad yourself, conk face. Where are you two from? Nose City? One more time, mate. I'll take you to fucking cleaners. Language! And don't pick your nose. I wasn't going to pick my nose. I'm going to thump him. You hear that? Blessed are the Greek. The Greek. Mm. Well, apparently, he's going to inherit the earth. Did anyone catch his name? You're not going to thump anybody. So not only is that scene really funny, I think it's interesting. We start off on this whole thing where it's like, because, I mean, they're listening to Jesus yeah. doing the Sermon on the Mount, and some people can't hear him, and they're making assumptions about what he's saying. Doesn't that feel like a kind of message there about, like, people reading the Bible and being like, I don't understand this, but this is what I think it means, yeah, or, so or I'm going to go not with even, that. Not even going so far to say I don't understand this, saying, like, I understand what this means, and this is exactly what it means because this is what I think it means. Yeah. Yeah, yeah or or even the, the idea of, like, shit kind of getting distorted in the telephone sort of way, like getting passed down. But, I, I mean, that's just a scene full of comedy. Blessed are the cheesemakers. Well, I think he means all manufacturers of dairy products. <laughs> or and, and I laugh. It makes me laugh every time when he's like, he's like... Once more, and I'll, one more time, mate, and I'll take you to the fucking cleaners. Because <laughs> it's so out of place. Yeah, it's so out of place. <laughs> yeah, every time they said fuck in this movie, I was like, yeah. oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's only a few times, and it always has a good impact, and I'll take you to the fucking cleaners. I love it. And it, and, and it's extra funny because Michael Palin is, is traditionally the nicest one of them all. So having oh, yeah. him be aggressive is has extra funny. A, a reputation, yes. IRL, of being a very nice person. Oh, yeah. And, and he's great. If, if you've ever seen any of his travelogues, they're fantastic. Check them out. Around the World 80 Days, I think, is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, like you said, that is the first time, first and only time, really. I mean, we see him as a, we see Jesus as a baby at the beginning yeah. in that scene where Brian is mistaken for Jesus yeah. at first. Um, foreshadowing, yeah. right? But, but this scene serves to establish right off the bat that, that Brian is not Jesus. Jesus exists, he's doing his thing, and he's still Jesus. They don't say anything. And this is part of, like, their, their idea that, Without getting too deep into the background right now, I will mention that they, when they were writing this movie, they had thought about making Jesus the character. But as they dug into it and read the stuff in the Bible, they're like, well, it's hard to make fun of this guy because he's saying nice things. Like he's, you know, he's saying good things overall. So it's kind of hard to take the piss out of that. But then we can kind of use Brian as a character to kind of poke fun at everything around him. Everything, yeah. Yeah. The, the church, the people, the, the kind of. I mean, that's the thing we'll really get into later, but like. I don't think this movie is even what the accusations were saying it was. Oh, no, not at I all. Don't even think it, I don't even think it's blasphemous. No, no not at all. They have, the only scenes they have Jesus in here, he, he's represented as Jesus. Yeah, like, he's, he's not represented in negative light He's at saying all. exactly the things that Jesus is uh, alleged, to, alleged to have said. Yeah, despite, like, you know, even putting aside the fact that it's like, oh, you're protesting, shut the fuck up. <laughs> um, also, just like... 
that's not even what they're doing. Yeah. That, we'll that's yeah. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, but we'll talk about that criticism stuff a little later. Yeah. I want to play one scene here, and I mm. want to see what you think mm. about how this. Uh, uh, should I even set this up? I'm just going to ask you how you think this ages. Yeah, just play. We'll just play the scene, and we'll we'll talk about. Okay. It. Furthermore, it is the birthright of every man or woman. Why don't you shut up about women, Stan? You're putting us off. Women have a perfect right to play a part in our movement, Reg. Why are you always on about women, Stan? I want to be one. What? I want to be a woman. From now on, I want you all to call me Loretta. What? It's my right as a man. Well, why do you want to be Loretta, Stan? I want to have babies. You want to have babies? It's every man's right to have babies if he wants them. You can't have babies! Don't you oppress me. I'm not oppressing you, Stan. You haven't got a womb. Where's the fetus going to gestate? You're going to keep it in a box? Here, I've got an idea. Suppose you agree that he can't actually have babies, not having a womb, which is nobody's fault, not even the Romans, but that he can have the right to have babies. Good idea, Judith. We shall fight the oppressors for your right to have babies, brother. Sister. Sorry. What's the point? What? What's the point of finding trees right to have babies when he can't have babies? It is symbolic of our struggle against oppression. Symbolic of his struggle against reality. So, not terribly no. aged, right? Mm. I mean, we have a scene here where a character... I know it's a, it's a parody movie or whatever, <laughs> but we have a scene where a character here, a male character, says, I want to be a woman now and I yeah. want you to call me Loretta. Yeah. And it's more of like a, it's more, I feel like if this was an American comedy in 1979, it would be a big oof. Be a bit different. Uh, what's interesting about this scene is that first off, the way John Cleese reacts in this scene, I feel like he would react the exact same way today. I, Jason, <laughs> Jason, I literally have that written down. Oh my God. I love John Cleese, but yes, he would probably act the exact same way. Reminds me of old Cleese. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I told you. <laughs> yeah, but, he's just a really grumpy man now. What's interesting about this scene to me is, number one, Monty Python has a history, obviously, of, of playing with gender in their comedy. Because yeah. they're six white guys, so and they have one lady that they bring in for when they need a hot girl. Uh, but any other time, they just dress up as women. Um, so there's that going. Uh, I remember there was a sketch in one of the later seasons about like female impersonators than, as part of the mob or something. Like... And I feel like that's been a streak through British comedy is this the, the gender-bending humor. And I wonder if that contributes to this weird anti-trans strand that seems to be in the UK, like especially among like so-called progressives. You know, mm. people like Graham Linehan, who I hate to give more airtime, but like these and, and J.K. Rowling, these people that have issues with trans people. And it's like, you're almost there, guys. What's going on? But it, it feels like it's deeper in British comedy. And, and this scene is representative of that. I think this is a funny scene, but also I can understand why today somebody might be offended by that. Also, <laughs> it should be noted, John Cleese has dipped his toes in that water too. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And, and he's exactly the sort of old man that would go on Twitter and, and say that sort of thing. Um, Progressive but, in every other way. But it's like, yeah, it's like, okay, except reality. But it's like, at the end of the day, it's like, well, well who do you say what that reality is? Okay, sure, somebody's got the, the parts, but that doesn't mean that's who they are. Yeah. And who cares? Who fucking cares? People want to live their lives, man. But Jason, they're I'm going to say it right now, Brendan. Jason, you need to hear it. Jason, I don't want to hear your go. No, no, they're trying to steal women's sports. Oh, obviously, yeah, that's exactly what's happening. The East Germans started that conspiracy back in the day, and now it's uh, it's it's finally coming to fruition. It's a communist plot, just so you know. 
<laughs> okay. Well, yes. So, point is, that scene may play a little odd today. Yeah, hey, if we happen to have any trans listeners, and we would love to think that we do, can you maybe let us know your thoughts on this scene? If this is something that bothers you, or or if not, or if it's just, you know, the period or whatever. I would love I, to hear it. I would like to know. Because, I, again, I feel like it is handled in a way that is not overly offensive, but... I mean, what do I know? But right? it also, I mean, at the end he says, you know, deal with reality kind of thing. Yeah. Like, that, that sounds that, like something that Ben Shapiro would say. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the, the part that, that to me doesn't come off as bad as it as it would normally is when he says, uh, you don't have a womb. Yeah. And that's just like a, that, that, that's a fact. It's a fact. He doesn't fact. have a womb. Someday, maybe. We'll she, does, she from now on, because Loretta yes. does change her, uh, her name to Loretta. Um so yeah, there's that whole thing. Yeah. And then there's the political satire in this mm-hmm. movie, which I need you to get into a little bit for us because I, I know they're making fun of a specific party first and foremost, No, not right? a specific party. What they're making fun of, Brendan, is left-wing parties. Okay, and, and explain. And I, and I love this because I find in American, in American comedy, it, it seems harder for left-wing stuff to get parodied in a way that's really funny. And I don't know if that's just because there's so many left-wing people in comedy. And, and, you know, and it does happen occasionally. But, like, the British are really good at it and doing it in a way that ends up being funny and kind of poking at it. I think there's more material on the right. Well, there is a lot of material on the right, sure. But the thing about the right wing in comparison to the left wing is that when the, when the right wing has an objective, people fall in line. Now, that's maybe that's because they don't think for themselves. Maybe that's because they're followers. Maybe that's because they just want to fucking fuck shit up. But they fall in line. Left-wing parties have the exact opposite problem. We discuss shit to death. It, it, it's actually, I've been listening to podcasts recently. Um, uh, Behind the Bastards has been doing a series on fascism and the rise of fascism. And one of, the, one of the symptoms of fascism is this cult of action. The idea that you do stuff without even thinking about it. You do stuff for the sake of doing stuff because stuff needs to be done. Right? The left-wing has the opposite problem. Uh, and, and this is what they're parodying in this movie, this idea of like endless discussion, endless like uh, conflict between people of very similar views with only minor, very minor doctrinal differences. And we saw a little bit of this kind of parodied in um, uh, I'm All Right Jack as well with the yeah. unions and everything. Yes. Like, in this movie, we see at one point uh, Brian and the People's Front of Judea is, is trying to break into the palace to capture Pilate's wife. And they run into another left-wing group, or what is assumed to be a left-wing group, that's doing something similar. But because they don't have the exact same, like, to the letter objectives, they end up just murdering each other. <laughs> but then they come back later, don't they? Oh, no, no, I guess they don't. No. Well, right. that's the thing. They all play, they all play multiple characters. Right. So, Sometimes, yeah. like, one scene to the next. Yes. Like, yes. you'll see Eric Idle in a scene with curls in his hair. Yeah. And then the next scene, you'll see him talking to the jailer and yeah. a different character. Yeah. Even, even Graham Chapman, who plays Brian, the main character, also plays Biggest Dickus. <laughs> Biggest Dickus. Yeah, we'll get into that. <laughs> don't worry. Um... Yeah, so yeah, so th- this movie goes very hard on that idea, and we see that through when the People's Tragedy is sitting around, and they're like being very like formal with their Robert's Rules of Order and asking, you know, for objections and things like that, and yeah. they just keep discussing it, and then that culminates at the end of the movie when they make a, they don't, they don't, um, they don't establish a rescue committee, but they like establish a committee that goes out to Brian at the cross and and ex- expresses to him their. Uh, 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 thanks for yeah. being a martyr. Do we should we hear that scene? You let's, have it here. Let's take a listen. Let's take a listen at the People's yeah. Judea Front. Uh, the supposed, like you said, rescue mission. It's just them coming up to Brian, who's being crucified, yes. and reading a prepared statement. Hello, sleeping Brian. Thank God you come, Rich. Uh, yes, well, I think I should point out first, Brian, in all fairness, that we are not, in fact, the rescue committee. However, I have been asked to read the following prepared statement on behalf of the movement. 
And we, the People's Front of Judea, brackets, officials in brackets, do hereby convey our sincere fraternal and sisterly greetings to you, Brian, on this, the occasion of your martyrdom. What? Your death will stand as a landmark in the continuing struggle to liberate the parent land from the hands of the Roman imperialist aggressors, excluding those concerned with drainage, medicine, roads, housing, education, viniculture, and any other Romans contributing to the welfare of Jews of both sexes and hermaphrodites. Signed, on behalf of the PFJ, etc. And I'd just like to add on a personal note my own admiration for what you're doing for us, Brian, and what must be, after all, for you, a very difficult time. Ridge, what are you going to do? Goodbye, Brian, and thanks. Well done, Brian. Give it up, lad. Terrific work, Brian. Right. And... For he's a jolly good fellow, for he's a jolly good fellow, for he's a jolly good fellow. And so say all of us. And so say all of... I was going to say the best part of that scene is uh, we noticed when he when he walks out uh, as just before they're about to leave they all take a quick vote and then they turn around and sing for he's a jolly good fellow. <laughs> that that scene, I don't know if I'm looking too much into this, but that scene felt to me like, I mean, we just had you know the big uh, protests and you know unfortunately riots um, during the whole Black Lives Matter thing this mm-hmm. past year, right? Yep, and. To me, they're like the people who go on Instagram and make their profile picture black for a day. Yeah, basically. It's, and it's like, we respect you. They won't get involved. No. Because <laughs> actually, famously in this movie, John Cleese, who plays Reg, um, at the last minute, he, he says, oh, my back gave out. And yeah. he can't join them on their yeah. little, like, mission. <laughs> so, I mean, that to me, that they're like the Instagram profile picture changers of this whole, of, of the movement. You yeah. know what I mean? Or like even... Um, all talk, even, no action. Yeah, even politics-wise, the fact that they there's so much deep in discussion, there's so much like uh, um, concessions made and stuff like that. They almost feel like a, it's almost like a criticism of like modern day Democrats, like center Democrats, mm. where it's like, oh, you know, well, we're going to work with both sides and blah blah blah. Whereas you have people like Bernie Sanders, that's like, come on, people yeah. need money. It's it's again coming down to that idea of action versus discussion and how there has to be a balance, but you can't just discuss stuff to death and you shouldn't just do stuff without thinking about it. You need to come somewhere in the middle. Well, especially during a crisis, mm. because mm. I mean that's what's going on in America right now in the world is yeah. there's a crisis and there's so much discussion going on in the in the well, u.s and with the u.s being like you compare it to every other like western country including us up here in canada i mean like that's the thing folks for our american listeners guys like if if i if i miss half my hours for a week i can apply to the government to the to unemployment and get a 500 hundred dollar check which is fucked because that's more than i make in a week and that says a lot about the minimum wage but that's a whole different thing but it's wild that like we have stuff like that and in the yeah. states it's like and they're 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 struggling to get a single $1400 check at this point like, yeah. that's fucking insane like yeah. for for the months that they've been fucked over because half of the of the pol- of the politicians yeah. are saying i don't yeah. know about this yeah, but that's, you know what? This isn't a politics podcast. No, it's not. As much as we could talk about it all day. But it applies. It does, yes. It, it really, like, it made me think. I was like, this movie is still relevant. Yes. Oh, still, absolutely, yeah. I mean, where the, the indecision of the left and the, the heedless action of the right, for sure. Yeah. Um, also feels like um, when, uh, when 
when they become divisive and they fight that other like left wing group or whatever. Another modern uh, thing it made me think of is when Hillary Clinton was like picked. Not to get. I'm sorry, I'm getting into politics, but I just want to mention this. When Hillary Clinton was, you know, became the front runner and was the one to go against Donald Trump, it felt like that whole thing where the Bernie bros, like the big Bernie Sanders supporters, were like, well, if we don't have Bernie, we are not voting for you. Which is not necessarily the right option. It's like, oh, yeah, so my guy doesn't get it, so I'm going to vote in a completely opposite direction just to, as a fuck you. Like, well, that, that doesn't or, seem Or good. not vote at all. Yeah, and or that, not vote that, at all. And that's what I mean here, because, like, the two part, the two uh, left-wing groups that meet up in the tunnel start yeah. killing each other, and it's like... And and yeah. then there's you see like three Romans and the message there is like if they just went against those three Romans and then dealt with their differences later you you, you it's like you see that happen every time in a democratic uh, kind of front runner campaign and, and honestly probably in any progressive campaign where these people get into it and they they argue so hard with each other and but the thing is is that on the left we remember that shit on the right they they at least are they're able to forget it enough to be able to get done what they need to do to be like, yeah. Oh, well, so Ted Cruz called Donald Trump a piece of shit back then. Now Ted Cruz is the biggest bootlicker there ever was. That is the first example yeah. I thought of yeah. when you said that. They were like, <laughs> yeah, you said my wife is ugly, but here's a sad photo. You of accused me. my father of, of being involved in the JFK assassination, <laughs> but you know what? I like you. But here's a sad photo of me working the phones for you. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. He's the worst. Oh, he's a, I mean, Donald Trump's bad, but Ted Cruz is worse because Ted Cruz isn't an idiot. That's that's the scary thing about a guy like him. He's not stupid. Yeah. So, guys, I think you know where we stand politically. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> but yeah. Don't that, pretend that I'm a Democrat or anything, but Jesus Christ. It's like you've got the Democrats and then you've got the devil. <laughs> that's a devil. It's a literal devil. We're fighting them. Welcome back to InfoWars. I'm Alex Jones. Oh, no. Breaking in here on for screening country. Just want to let you know that the Chicom operatives and the globalists are taking down our government. President Trump is still the president. Steve Pachinik talked to me yesterday, and it turns out that everything's all right. And we're going to get through this. Do you want to get deplatformed, Jason? They're making the frogs, guy! And Alex Jones is gone. I he jetpacked to Republican heaven. He's not dead. I mean, unless he is, which I don't wish anybody's death. But as, as Mark it's, Twain once said, I've read a few obituaries with relish. I was going to ask you if it was my birthday. <laughs> so maybe I'm the bad person. Maybe. Um, but yeah, so I mean, life of Ryan, let's get back into it, Jason. We talked about the, the, that, that idea. Um, I think it's also like, there's a lot of uh, critique about like protest groups. Um, yeah. just like in general, like not really putting their money where their mouth is. Yeah. Well, at one point we have this idea where they're sitting around, they're discussing, it's like, and, and, and the, they don't really do anything, but they also have over exaggerated expectations where they're sitting around the table and he's like, if we continue on this, we could expect to follow the Roman, the entire Roman empire in 12 months. <laughs> like, no, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> um, they also do this thing where like, it, it's almost like the modern day thoughts and prayers Yeah, where uh, they talk about all those people that died in the cave as martyrs or mm-hmm. whatever. And then the second Brian shows up because he's not actually dead. Yeah. Um, they all like cower and hide. It's like, no, no, get out of the way. Get out of here. They're after you. Damn you. Why are you here? Like, <laughs> Why, well, I mean, they make a good point. Why did you lead the Romans to our hideout, dummy? I mean, it's true, but it's just funny that yeah. like that was seconds ago. They were calling him like a hero to the people and everything. Exactly. And they do that at the end of, again, of course. Yes. Oh yeah. In their prepared statement. Along with the suicide squad that killed themselves. The Suicide Squad. Let's talk about the Suicide Squad briefly. Okay. Um, They're not the the DC Comics. No, characters. I should have looked this up because uh, there is a deleted scene on the DVD on the Criterion DVD that has more with the Suicide Squad. But so, so favorite- so so the Suicide Squad is led by King Otto, 
which we don't get his name in the movie, but but that is from that deleted scene. That okay. is his name. Okay. Um, and if you'll notice, so they all have Hitler mustaches. Oh, they're, they're a Jewish suicide squad. They all have Hitler mustaches. I did not notice that. They're wearing uh, Piccolo-style helmets with a spike on them, which are <laughs> World War One German-style helmets. <laughs> and and if you look real close, Brendan, you'll see they have stars of David on their head, but there's like hooks coming off them as to evoke a swastika. <laughs> so that's the thing. I'm not exactly sure what they're trying to say with the suicide squad. I don't know what they're... <laughs> I don't think it's an anti-Semitic point. I don't know if it's a shot at the Israelis. I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't know either. And originally, I just thought, oh, it's a funny gag where a bunch of people kill themselves. But when they mentioned all that stuff, I'm like, yeah, the weird, I don't the weird know. Nazi connection with. I, I yeah. mean, I can't see Monty Python being like, let's oh, put in a joke that's hilarious for Nazis to enjoy. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think it's that at all. But, uh, but yeah, comparing a bunch of uh, Jewish people to Nazis feels like a very like. A uh, very super left wing, like anti-Israeli bias. Yeah, but also I don't think the you know Monty Python. I don't think that they're particularly conservative, but I also don't see them as they're not communists or anything. They're not super left wing. No, I mean, they're, I mean, uh, maybe. they're British upper class people who went to like Cambridge and fucking Oxford. I mean, Eric Idle's been pretty vocal. Oh about yeah, that no, stuff, I, so I think they're generally on the right side of history, but uh, yeah, you know, sometimes they say dumb things like Cleese does and Cleese. Gilliam has and. Yeah, I think you. I think you can rule out people like Eric Idle and Michael Palin because I think they're kind of known as the nicer ones. I think they're smarter too. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think so. Or 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 they they care more than Cleese does for sure. Cleese is a grump. He's yeah. he's been a grump since he was thirty five years old. That's true. He's always been a grump. <laughs> Jason, let's let's talk about the 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 second half of this movie because the second half of this and we you know what's crazy is I thought that it was going to be difficult to get through talking about this movie without just like quoting every line. Yeah, and I think there's so much like ingrained in, There's this a lot movie in this movie that yeah. i think it's easy to do that yeah there are, i mean this movie's hilarious obviously we're talking about it so seriously can i talk about one thing before we get into the yes, second half sure specifically and hold that thought we will get to the second half of this movie i promise you folks but i want to mention this is that there's a weird bit of pro-colonial humor i would say in this movie okay um and this comes down to when they're sitting around the people's strategy is sitting around and they're talking about the romans and they're like you know john cleese is saying like what have the romans ever done for us and he's like well the aqueducts Okay, well, the aqueducts, uh, the sanitation, okay, the sanit- medicine, yeah, and the wine. They brought us the wine. Okay, so uh, besides the sanitation, the wine, the aqueducts, the roads, the public baths, <laughs> what have the Romans ever done for us? And I, it's a funny scene, but it also is a bit pre is a bit pro colonial because it's saying that. Uh, the fact that, that you know, a, a colonial group comes in like the British, they they set up roads and infrastructure and do all these things that are beneficial to society, that it somehow justifies them coming in, somehow justifies them telling a group of people, hey, you guys aren't smart enough to do this yourself, so we're going to do it for you because God is, or the Queen has decided that we are the ones to do it. I definitely agree with that aspect. I also thought, though, it was kind of like when people are protesting it's something they don't really understand, too. Yeah. Like, I think it's like, you know, oh, we hate this guy. And it's like, oh, the guy that gave you this? Yeah. Okay, well, that was fine. What about the guy that gave you this? Yeah. Yeah, okay, well, uh, this. Uh, I guess yeah, so. Yeah. yeah, I can see that, too, because it's like from the perspective of poor people that hate socialism because they don't understand it. <laughs> it's like that would benefit you specifically. Oh, you're talking about, like, the entire right wing of America? Pretty much. Yeah. And and and, through, and not just America, though, throughout a lot of the world that, you yeah. know, that communism and socialism. I mean, I get communism maybe, but like socialism is a bad word and it's not. Did it's not, not. Did not think that this would be our most political episode. <laughs> but it is. And, and that's the thing about this movie and why it's so great that it, it, that it remains relevant to this day. That it's still, that the issues it addresses are still issues. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. 1979. Ooh. Crazy. Um, I want to play a scene later in the movie where, so at this point, Brian has, he's hiding from the Romans. 
Um, he goes and like he's like, oh, there's a lot of like crazy kooky religious or not religious, but you know, like uh, what do you call? They're them? like messiahs Messiah. or, or or preachers. They're trying, you know, because yeah. and that's the thing is that if you, I, I think if you read up on the history of it, as far as we know at the time, there were lots of people in the Middle East that were claiming to be like religious messiahs. This was like a thing that happened. Jesus, it turns out, was the one that stuck. Yeah. So <laughs> he stuck the landing. He stuck the landing. He, you know, he was the guy that got through and won that lottery, but uh, not everybody else did. Not like the book, the lottery. Oh man! Imagine if Jesus was in that book. Well, would, I mean, would he, would he cast the first stone? I guess is the question. <laughs> Listen, same thing would have happened essentially. Yeah, at least one of the parts. Maybe he would have walked in and like up upturned the table with the with the the slips on it and, and been th- like. I threw it on the ground. That's right. And he'd be like, this is my house. And they're like, we're outside. And he's like, yeah, I'm God. This is my house. What's going on? And they're like, you're the son of God. And he's like, yeah, but we're all the same thing. Yeah. Father, son, Holy Ghost. Don't and ask about the Holy Ghost. Don't know much about him. He's a weirdo. And then Eugene Levy shows up and says his classic line. You got me straight tripping, boo. Oh, I thought uh, you were going to say, did you fuck that pie? No. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he says that in the movie American Pie. Jim, uh, did you fuck that pie? <laughs> did you fuck that pie? Because I will fuck that pie. That's I a will, good pie. I will fuck the shit out of that I pie. I will fuck that pie and make it pregnant. <laughs> okay, Tracy. <laughs> so the second half of this movie. Yes, so he's doing this whole, like, fake religious, uh, what do you call this people? Televangelist almost. Yeah. Um, and he's doing it to like distract the guards. As soon as the guards take off, Brian starts leaving. And then of course the people are like, he doesn't finish his sentence. Yeah. So every random's like, what? We'll finish it. What are we going to say? And yeah, it's, and he's literally saying nonsense. He's like, he's like, and the oxes say unto them that they should be given. Uh, and then he just trails off and they're like, well, what? Give him what? And then, yeah, they start following him. They start they following him and they want to know. And it's, and it's funny because at first they're mocking him. They're just making fun of him. He's trying to say things and they're like, you know, uh, consider, <laughs> consider the lilies. Oh, now he's having a go with flowers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're, 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 yeah, they're having a blast with him. They're making fun of him. But then as soon as he's more like, I don't know, it's weird. It's almost like as soon as he gets vague, that's when they're like, they're hanging on his every words. That's a big statement right there. Exactly. Because he's saying very specific things like, don't, and he's saying them in very wordy ways. He's like, yeah, don't, don't judge other people because they might judge, they might be the ones that judge you. And they're just like, what? And then he starts talking about bullshit and they're like, they're hanging on his every word at that point. Absolutely. Because at that point, when you start talking about quote unquote bullshit or vague or whatever, that's when people can in put their own meanings on it. Absolutely. It's exactly like the end of The Sopranos, Brendan. <laughs> Goddamn right. I still think that's a great ending. That's a great ending because it allows the audience to think what they want to think. And right. uh, although these days, since, you know, um, James Gandolfini is no longer with us, I don't think there's any chance of a Sopranos movie. You don't you didn't hear that they're making young Sopranos? They're making young Sopranos. Soprano babies! With, with James Gandolfini's son playing him, which is do, pretty cool. Do you, wouldn't it be cool if they made a cartoon Soprano babies? Though? I would watch that, but I'll watch the Saints of Newark or whatever it's called, because I love The Sopranos. That's a fucking great show. Yeah. By the way, folks, recommendation. Check it out, The Sopranos, one of the great mob dramas. If you like The Godfather, this isn't like that, but they they, they love The Godfather. So. I watched it a couple of years ago in full. It's really good. It is good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I do, so from this half of the movie, I want to play the scene that where his followers are not sure whether they should follow a shoe or a gourd that he, uh, gave to someone. <laughs> a gourd that he got for free when he was buying a beard and being forced to haggle about it. Being and forced to shoe, haggle. And a shoe that falls off while he's running away. Right. So they're arguing between whether they should follow the shoe or the gourd. He has given us a sign! Oh, he has given us a shoe! A shoe is the sign! Let us follow his example! What? Let us, like him, 
Hold up one shoe and let the other be upon our foot, for this is his sign that all who follow him shall do likewise. Yes. No, 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 the shoe is a sign that we must gather shoes together in abundance. Cast off the shoes, follow the goods. No, let us gather shoes together. Let me. No, no, it is a sign that like him we must think not of the things of the body, but of the face and head. Give me your shoe. Get off. Follow the goods, the holy goods of Jerusalem. The goods. Hold up the sandal as he has commanded It is a shoe. It is a sandal. It is a shoe. Cast it away. Put it on! A clear off! Take the shoes and follow him! Ah, I like how he just walks away. <laughs> he just stops talking and walks away. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so that but that scene, um, that to me is again another thing where it's like already. They can't decide what it is. Already there's a schism. <laughs> right? Like, already there's people saying, no, it's this, it means this. In this case, of course, follow the shoe, and they're yeah. saying follow the gourd. But bigger picture, religion actually is is uh, metaphoric of this. No, it's metaphorical of this. And already it's like they're, it's like they're criticizing the way that people can misinterpret it. Yes, no, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it, exactly. And, and, and well, it, misinterpret it. It doesn't mean anything. It means nothing. He's literally not trying to do anything or trying to give any signs whatsoever, but everybody's just assuming, because that's the way of things at this in this movie, and, and maybe at this time, that uh, you immediately start to let your imagination run wild, apparently. I mean, that's really how religion was born, wasn't it? I don't yeah. mean to offend any religious people out there, but I mean that's as far as I'm concerned. That's I mean I don't pretty think, much it. But I don't think okay. So people that I know that are because I know I have friends that are Christians and that's fine. But I don't think any of them take it literally. I don't think any of them take it a hundred percent literally. I think the, I think these are just stories in the Bible that like you know yeah, teach lessons and shit. The, that's what I've always said about the Bible is that it's a fascinating document. It, it, there's history in there. There's moral stories. Um, but if you try to take it as a hundred percent true it just doesn't work it well, doesn't make any sense and that's the problem yeah. that's america because everybody's deciding on what it means and no one can agree and well, you know it, what that's this, the is, thing. this is this is joe biden's america and god damn it we are not going to stand for it anymore i know you're joking but i want to say too the idea that, that, that people are divided over what it means it doesn't fucking matter because the united states is not a christian country they want to say some people like to say that but it is not it is a secular country says so right in the First Amendment. There shall be no establishment of religion or the prohibited, the free exercise thereof. Again, most political episode of this podcast. <laughs> Didn't see it coming. So there's one more clip. I, there's another clip I want to talk about here, and this is uh, uh, from a scene where Brian is thrown into jail, and there's already a guy strapped to the wall. Have you ever heard of something called tall poppy syndrome? No. So tall poppy syndrome is uh, something that I think happens – Less in America, but it's more like in British and Australia and countries like that. And the idea of tall poppy syndrome is that you, you say you're from, you know, you're from a town. So where are you from? You're from Moncton, right? I'm not from here, but sure. Yeah. Well, Moncton. For argument's sake, just say Moncton. Okay, Moncton. You're from Moncton. You, you leave Moncton, you go, you become successful, you come back to Moncton, you go visit your friends. And they're all just like, ah, you're not so great. Look at you. Ah, come on, man. Just back, you know, like basically trying to like knock you down to their level. Like the idea that you've kind of risen above and you've gotten better and you get back to hometown and nobody gives you any credit for that. You're just kind of knocked down. That's not necessarily a bad thing. That's actually a, a way to keep people grounded and humble, but that's tall poppy syndrome. And, and I get some of that with this, where this guy is like, you know, Brian gets into the jail and he's immediately like, oh, you have it so good. So let's listen to that scene. This is some classic Monty Python humor. You lucky bastard. Who's that? 
You lucky, lucky bastard. What? Trot the little jailer's pet, aren't we? What do you mean? You must have slipped him a few shekels, eh? Slipped him a few shekels? You saw him spit in my face? Oh, what wouldn't I give to be spat at in the face? Oh, sometimes I ain't awake at night dreaming of being spat at in the face. Well, it's not exactly friendly, is it? They had me in manacles. Manacles? Oh, my dear heaven, it's to be allowed to be put in manacles just for a few hours. They must think the sun shines out of your arse, Sonny. Oh, lay off me. I've had a hard time. You've had a hard time? I've been here five years. They only owe me the right way up yesterday. So don't you come now. All right, all right. They must think you're Lord God Almighty. What will they do to me? Oh, you'll probably get away with crucifixion. Crucifixion? Yeah. First offence. Get away with crucifixion? It's the best thing the Romans ever did for us. What? Oh, yeah. If we didn't have crucifixion, this country would be in a right bloody mess. And that's funny, too, because he's super, super pro-Roman, even though he's been, like, tortured in this jail for years and years and years. He's still like, no, crucifixion, you might get away with it. <laughs> like, like, he'd get off with crucifixion. It's almost like he has <laughs> Stockholm Syndrome with the Romans. Kind of. Kind of, yeah. But, or he just he just loves the Romans so much, just right out of the gate. He's like, yep, I'm here for a reason, so. <laughs> I'm here for a good time. Not a long time. But this actually reminds me of a of a Python sketch. There's a sketch where Graham Chapman plays a father, and I think Eric Idle plays his son, and his son, the son wants to be like a coal miner, and the father's an actor, <laughs> and he's like giving him shit about it. He's like, oh, I've had more gala luncheons than you've had hot dinners. Like, <laughs> you want to be a coal miner? <laughs> The other big thing I want to I want to mention is the ending because at the ending everyone kind of sucks, yeah. right? Because it's funny because everyone fails in their own way because John Cleese um, gets the word from Caesar because Caesar comes out and he's like, "Who do you want me to release?" First off, that's not Caesar. Oh, is it Pilate? That's Pontius Pilate. Oh, sorry, I thought they played were... by David Bowie in the movie The Last Temptation of Christ. Oh, I've seen this movie. <laughs> no. I was like, what? <laughs> no, it's Michael Palin. Yeah, I was movie. like, what the fuck? <laughs> but yeah, Pontius Pilate comes out and says, who do you want me to release? And like that's and that's the joke, folks. If you haven't seen the movie, that's the joke. Is that he, he has a, what do they call it, a non-rotic accent? He, he, he is R's or W's. Yeah. And then and then Biggest Dickus shows biggest, up. Biggest a Dickus? And he has the Biggest Dickus is the Sylvester's thing going on. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that whole bit. And finally they say, Brian, like, so, like Judith comes into the crowd and was like, no, no, legit Brian. And they're like, Oh, yeah, yeah, Brian, Brian. Because at first they're just yelling names. They're yelling names again with R's to fuck him up. To so fuck him like, up. Roger, Wadja. Yeah. <laughs> Roderick, Wadwick. They they really tear into people with speech impediments in this movie. Because we have Biggest Dickus, we have Pilot, and then we also have the guy down in the jail that, mm, mm, he's, mm, he's mm, 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 mad. <laughs> I had a question about that. Do you, do you think, because that was Eric Idle. Yeah. Do you think Michael Palin, having been in that scene with him, was like taking notes for A Fish Called Wanda? One has to assume. One has to assume that he stole that from Eric Idle. <laughs> I, I do like how, by the way, the twist to that is like as soon as John Cleese leaves, the the guy, like the character that Eric Idle stutters as is like, so anyway, what did you say you were doing? Yeah, and then Terry Gilliam's character, who is completely insane, just starts talking like Terry Gilliam in his American accent. Just like, oh yeah, so I was over there doing this thing. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. So many unexplained gags yeah. in this movie. Um, um, also, can we mention, before we get to the full ending, we got to yeah. mention the alien <laughs> okay, hold on. I want to talk about the ending just for a second. Okay. Because that's a whole other thing. All right. But um, so anyway, people are like, alien. Yeah. Um, 
after he's like, yeah, who do you want me to release? They say Brian. He's like, okay, Brian. Like, John Cleese doesn't uh, makes it there, but um, the Eric Idle character is like, yeah, I'm Brian. Yeah. And then he's like, no, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not Brian. No, no, stop taking me out of the crucifixion. Yeah, he was the jokester because he, he was the guy at the beginning of the movie that called him Big Nose, and, or the other guy Big Nose. And then later on when there is like a crucifixion, good, just up the up the stairs to the left, got one cross each, and then he goes, crucifixion? No, no. Actually, Fr- freedom. I'm freedom. Yeah, no, they said I've been set free. And he's like, oh. Oh, all right. That's great. You can just go. No, man. I'm just pulling your leg, mate. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> so he's joking there. And then, of course, on the cross, he says that it's him. And they pull him down. He's like, no, it's me. I, I was just pulling your leg. <laughs> right. So he John Cleese as the, as the you know, Well, it's sergeant. not John Cleese, is it? Oh, it's mean, John Cleese as the sergeant oh, of, as the, as um, the Roman of Pilate. And then, and then of course, the PFJ show up and they do their speech and because nothing it's happens. Judith, it's Judith that shows up. And well, the Suicide Squad show up and kill themselves. Yep. Judith shows up and says, I'm also proud of you and leave. Yep. His mother shows up, Brian's mother shows up and just says, oh, of course you go and get yourself crucified yeah. <laughs> and, and leaves. By the way, I think that's my favorite part. Terry Jones as Brian's mother. Oh, she's wonderful. Wonderful. And I love how she, I love how he does that really high pitched voice yes. for a female character. I mean, he's, he's the classic pepper pot. They all do pepper pots, but something what? about Terry Jones. Is that what it's called? That when they're like kind of the old British lady, like when okay. they dress up as an old British lady, they Be- call them the pepper pot. Because pots, I yeah. literally wrote down, if this was an American movie and... There were characters like doing that, like that voice for a woman, or those silly voices. People would be like, "Eh." but that's that's his go-to for. Oh, it's (laughs) great, old lady. No, it's great here. (laughs) I just think it's so interesting. Like as an American movie, I think it would be looked at as like over the top. Yeah, it wouldn't bite. Like if you go back and look at something like Tootsie, like uh, he's not doing that extreme of a performance because he's trying to be realistic but yeah. in comedy like or in this type of comedy this extreme comedy yeah it works well really i don't well. know if you watch the behind the scenes documentary jason but tootsie made dustin hoffman realize the problems of everyday women oh well good for him yeah it's he, he's <laughs> a true feminist watching it now it's like oh dustin hoffman <laughs> i see you hey hey, hey. <laughs> uh okay so what are we what are we talking about here or were you no, going to talk about the ending? Essentially, everybody shows up and no one could save the day. Like, everybody fails. And yeah. the movie ends, Brian is going to die on the cross. Yeah. And, of course, they end with that song, which you'll hear later. Yes. Always look on the bright side of life. What might be the most culturally significant thing to come out of this movie that is maybe known by people that haven't actually seen the movie. Yeah. It might be the most well-known Monty Python song. I would say, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, as a Python fan, I would certainly point to the Lumberjack song. But honestly, movie overall, wise, though, yeah, movie wise, it has to be always look on the bright side of life. Uh, yeah, so they have that whole thing where everyone kind of sucks and Brian dies and they sing the song. Okay, Jason, talk about the fucking aliens. So yeah, so there's a scene where Brian is being chased by the Romans. So initially, we see him. We got to talk about that. The the he is trying to write graffiti on the wall, and John Cleese's Roman centurion shows up and criticizes his uh, uh, grammar. It's, yeah, it's spelling <laughs> grammar. Yeah, and this this specifically comes from when John Cleese was in school. He had Latin teachers that were basically like this. That oh, would okay. always be very critical of how their grammar. So that's what he was doing. He was basically doing an impression of his Latin teacher, getting this guy to write it out properly and then he of course he graffitis everything and then they walk away and then two more soldiers show up and then start chasing him and well because so John Cleese tells him to write it a hundred times yes a hundred <laughs> times all over everything yeah and so he gets into a chase and at some point during the chase he gets chased up a tower 
Uh, and he walks, he like goes up the stairs and gets up to the top of the tower and falls off the edge. And then at that exact moment, a spaceship flies by and he falls into it. And there are two aliens in the spaceship, which are basically like big masses with hands holding onto an eyeball. And they fly through space. They're chasing another, there's another ship chasing him. They get into a space battle with fire and they eventually get hit. And then they crash back down to, to the same spot in Rome and crash. And Brian gets out of the, the crash. And it's a crazy, it's a, it's a wonderful Monty Python scene because it's so out of left field. Yeah. But it's also like, for the time, very well done. Like, the, the effects are pretty impressive for a low-budget movie in 1979. So, Jason, I'm going to say something a little bit crazy here. Mm. Seeing this scene made me question myself if I've actually ever watched this movie. <laughs> you didn't remember this at I all. I didn't remember that scene at <laughs> all. Wonderful. So you got the best effect of it. I was like, what? <laughs> so, watching this, I think I've come to the conclusion that I'm pretty sure... I've just seen like a ton of clips. I don't think I've actually sat down and watched the entire movie start to finish. It's funny that that clip wouldn't come up either. Weird. Never. (laughs) As soon as that happened, like you have no idea. I had to pause the movie and be like, what what is happening? What's going on? (laughs) Aliens? What? Yeah. (laughs) Jason, let's get into the bits and bobs. And then we're going to talk about some of the bullshit behind the scenes. Uh, But before we do that, uh, we are going to take a break and we will be right back age of radio hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back. We're back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back. Come on down. We're here at uh, Blakey's Dodge and Chrysler here in Toronto, Nova Scotia. We are live. Come on down. We'll get tickets for the uh, Kid and Play concert coming up here at the Toronto Civic Center. Bats and bombs, bats and bombs, bats and bombs, bats and bombs. Jason's got bats and bombs, bats and bombs. He's got your bats and bombs. Well, this is some bits and bombs. All right, here we go. <laughs> we were like bits, <laughs> nothing but a mob. <laughs> that means it's time for your bits and bobs. Here we go. So, interestingly, Brendan, this is the first time I've ever noticed it. I've watched this movie a million times. Did not notice this until this time. My wife pointed it out, and I was like, oh, yeah. So at the very beginning, when the three wise men come in, uh, uh, one of them is John Cleese, and John Cleese is in brown face. <laughs> you will oh. notice he's wearing a mask, but behind his mask, he is painted up brown. Dear. <laughs> oh, dear. So that's a new thing for me. Uh, um, this theme song, by the way, which we heard earlier. Brian. It's one of the greats. Uh, and I, when I actually, when we did Goldfinger, I could not stop humming this song because <laughs> I kept thinking of it. I, I, wrote, I have the quote from Eric Idle, Alms for an ex-leper. That's, that's not Eric Idle. That's, uh, isn't that... Uh, What's Eric Idle? It's because he's like hopping around and everything. I thought that was Michael Palin. Sorry, I, I stand corrected. Eric Idle. Eric Idle. Michael Palin. Damn Michael straight. Palin. Um, but no, yeah, he says Alms for an ex-leper, which I think is really funny, yeah. like an ex-leper. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fine. Well, then what's funny about that is that he's like, yeah, he's like, Jesus. Jesus cured me. Bloody do-gooder. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then at the end of it, he's like, uh, Brian, Lee, he, Brian gives him some money. 
And he's like, uh, he's like, wait a minute, five dinars, that's it? And he goes, huh, there's no pleasing some people. And he goes, that's what Jesus said. <laughs> uh, so then we've got, uh, let's see here, we got, um, oh, so during the Sermon on the Mount, we talked about the uh, line that makes me laugh one more time, mate, and I'll take you to the fucking cleaners. But the other one that makes me laugh, too, is when they say, the, when they realize he says, the meek shall inherit the earth, the, the lady goes, oh, I'm glad they're getting something, because they've had a hell of a time. <laughs> the fake beards for women is hilarious because they're not allowed to go to the stoning, so they buy really obviously fake beards. And they have a fake beard salesman. Yeah. One thing I will point out in this joke that makes no sense, though, yeah. I'm I'm going to come at Monty Python mm-hmm. here, Jason. I'm going to criticize him. He says the guy is like clearly selling fake beards, so he knows they're going to women. Yeah. But like at one point, um, Brian says, mother, and then she looks at him and is like, and he's like, oh, I mean father, yeah. but in front of the salesman. But like, I, but the salesman knows it's a woman. <laughs> That's why it's funny. <laughs> That's oh. why it's extra funny. I don't know, Jason. Some flaws in that script. I love in that stoning scene too, where where everybody's like screaming and and you know cheering on this stoning, and he stops and he's like, hears all the high pitched voices, and he goes, wait, are there any women here? And they're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and they keep lowering their voices at various points. That makes me They fun. all are women with yeah, beards. Yeah, they're all women. Yeah. Exactly. They're all women with fake beards. Um, when he, when, when uh, Brian's mom goes to pick up the stones and she asks, she says, give me two, two points and a big black one. <laughs> and then he wants some too. So they get a packet of gravel and a couple more stones. Um I really like too when they're when the when there's you know of course John Cleese's character he's the guy and he eventually gets stoned and they the ladies all lug in a massive fucking boulder and drop it on his head yeah <laughs> well because he accidentally says Jehovah because that's the that's the crime of the nobody gets stoned unless I say so even if they say Jehovah and then they immediately just start stoning him because the prisoner is there for saying Jehovah <laughs> they're for digging the Lord's name in vain by right. saying it right. Uh, yeah, so we, ex-leper, uh, oh, at one point they hollered a statue that kind of looks like Bill Clinton. Did you notice that? That Roman statue? It's got kind of the, they're, it's, it's like, yeah, it's like they're hauling this big statue and it's got kind of short hair and he's got kind of a, a hangdog look and he looks like Bill Clinton. Um, I do like the, uh, the conversation where, where the PFJ members are hiding and there's that one, one guy as like an old man or whatever. And he's having a conversation with John Cleese, leader of the Romans about the, uh, crucifixion, about the, the, you know, crucifixion. And he's mm. like, oh, at least it gets you out in the fresh air. That's right. <laughs> exactly. He's like, it's not so bad. Eh, crucifixion. And John Cleese is like, what do you mean? Eh, crucifixion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You just can't imagine. You're a weird. You're a weird one. Yeah. He says. You weirdo. <laughs> Um, Brian's dad, Brian finds out that his dad is a Roman. And is there not an implied scene of fellatio? Because Brian finds out his dad is a Roman. And then you see his mom say something like, oh, it's a Roman soldier. And she's like, hello there, dear. And she gets down on her knees. Yeah. And then the scene cuts out. Yeah. It's clear. There's something going on there. Yeah. Um, but he finds out that his dad is a Roman, which is interesting because there is a, a theory um, or a hypothesis, I suppose would probably be a better term that, because the idea of a virgin birth is ridiculous from a materialist perspective. That that perhaps Mary was either in a relationship with or perhaps raped by a Roman soldier, and that was the um, origin of Jesus's birth. That uh, because there is there is a soldier that supposedly there's some evidence that he may have been Jesus's father, but it's it's certainly far from certain. But I wonder if that was a specific reference to that fact or that idea. Yeah, and of course, and then he claims that he's like, "No, I'm Jewish," and he starts, "I'm I'm I'm a kike. I'm a I'm a I'm a hebe. I'm a big nose. Uh, I'm a Red Sea pedestrian and proud of it." Which made me laugh. That's a good. Uh, I'm a Red Sea pedestrian. I like that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when they go to the Colosseum and the title comes up and it says like Roman Colosseum, children's matinee. <laughs> 
And you just see them picking up all those like pick guts up all the and meat and guts and, and the, picks yeah. up the arm and tries to take the ring off and can't get it off. So just shoves the ro- arm into her robes yeah. or his robes. I think it was a dude, but he may have been playing a woman. I don't know. It's hard to tell with, with Monty Python. Uh, He's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy. When they go to do the right? um, yes, that which is the isn't that the name of the musical? He's he's not the Messiah because because like like there was Spamalot, which was the musical version of uh, uh, Holy Grail. There is a musical version of Life of Brian, and I think it's called He's Not the Messiah. He's a okay. very naughty boy. Gotcha. Um, when, when they so when the people's friend of Judea decides to do this operation to go capture Pilate's wife. Uh, I laughed at the line where he goes, we must move fast and don't wear your best sandals because they're going into the sewer. <laughs> I have a question too. When when we get that call back, so we had that joke about, um, they had that whole joke about Pilot talking about, uh, not, he doesn't understand how the joke Biggest Dickus is funny because yeah. he actually has a friend named Biggest yes. Dickus. And we have his, like, his soldiers are laughing every time he says it. Yes. And then we see the character of Biggest Dickus played by Graham Chapman. Yeah. Were they, did he not have a dick? Was that the joke there? I, it's funny because after the scene went past, I thought, oh, I should have looked at his crotch to see there's if he nothing had a dick. There. Yeah, there's nothing there. So I don't know. That's that's funny. The so are they just saying he's like a eunuch, but his name Perhaps. is Biggest Dickus? Yes, maybe that's why we, he has a lisp. Because, guys, I know that Graham Chapman has a dick because we see it in this movie. We do see it in this movie, and it is quite prominent and glorious. Um, let's see here. What else we got? Yeah, we talked about left-wing groups tearing themselves apart over minor uh, uh, doctrinal differences. Oh, so here's an interesting fact. So in that scene with Biggest Dickus, or where, where they're talking about Biggest Dickus the first time, you see the other soldiers in the scene, the extras. As I understand, they told those extras, they said, okay, we're going to do this scene. Whatever you do, do not laugh. If you laugh, we will fire you from this job. That's what they told them. Jeez. They had no intention of doing that, but that's right. what they told them so that they would really legitimately struggle to not laugh in that scene. And that's why it kind of plays out like it does, so they could get that reaction. So good on them for coming up with that, being a bit Stanley Kubrick without just straight up abusing somebody. Yeah. It's 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 <laughs> treading that line. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I like when the so when the Romans are chasing Brian and he goes into the uh, headquarters of the PFJ, and then John Cleese sends in the Roman soldiers and he sends in a ridiculous amount of soldiers into this room where they're all just hiding in plain sight. They like threw a sheet over themselves. One guy's like bent over in a in a basket. <laughs> like it's clear they're all there, but he sends in like twenty Roman soldiers. They go in, they don't find anything. They come back out. <laughs> Comically, the third time they go to do it, the old man is like, "You haven't given us time to hide yet." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so when, and when he becomes, when of course he falls off the balcony and he ends up having to do the Messiah thing there just to kind of, you know, make sure the Romans aren't paying attention to him. And he's trying to tell a parable. Like he's trying to do like Jesus because he's like, oh, there was a man on the road to Damascus or whatever. And they're like, well, what was his name? It's like, well, it doesn't matter what his name was. Well, no, it does matter. No, it doesn't matter. He's trying to tell a parable. <laughs> you don't understand how parables work, you idiots. Uh, and then, of course, yeah, when he's like, consider the lilies, you're having to go with the flowers now. I love it. He's just, this guy doesn't like, uh, what was the other thing? What was the first thing he talked about? I don't remember. Because, he, yeah, he was, and then they accused him of being mean to that, and then he yeah. says, consider the lilies. Oh, he's having to go with the flowers did, now. Did you catch the Spartacus reference in this movie? Well, that's at the end, yeah, when, when he's like, I'm Brian. And well, they're like, no, I'm Brian. Well, when John Cleese goes to free Brian, because that's yeah. the one the crowd wants to be freed, Eric Idle says he's Brian, and then once everybody else realizes what it is, they're like, I, I'm Brian, yeah. I'm Brian, I'm Brian. And it failed to me like that scene where they're trying to protect Kirk Douglas by everyone yeah. saying, I am Spartacus. But Which like in also, this scene... Because they all get cruci- crucified in that movie too, don't they? I think so. Yeah. But but in this scene, in this movie, it's like they're all just trying to get the fuck out of there. Exactly. They're all just trying to, to work in Save their, their own, own skin. Their own skin, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
when Brian's being followed by all the people that they think he's a prophet, the uh, John Cleese's uh, uh, character, he's like, he's like, I say you are the Messiah, and I should know. I followed a few. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So he's already admitting like this has failed before. <laughs> yep. And then, of course, we get that great scene where he he has just had sex with Judas Iscariot, or Judith Iscariot, not Judas Iscariot, not Judas, Judith. And he gets up and he walks out to the window and opens up the window naked. And then they're all out there and they're like, the Messiah has awoken. Can we listen to the crowd conversation? Yes, because, absolutely. Because um, it, it's fun how they like have them doing like complicated responses in yes. unison. Yes, they're all responding in unison because at some point Brian's mom comes out. That, that's, and, yeah, yes. that's what we're going to hear here. And uh, uh, she's not too happy about this group of people that's at the house. She's not because he's a very naughty boy. He's a very naughty boy. Now you listen here. He's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy. Now go away! Who are you? I'm his mother, that's who! Behold his mother! Behold his mother! And that's when he tells him, he's like, you have to think for yourselves. It's like, you are individuals. We are individuals. You have to think for yourselves. We have to think for ourselves. <laughs> They're not getting it. They're not getting it. Um, at one point, he gets arrested by the Romans, and it's great because John Cleese, uh, in his great voice, goes, uh, you'll fucking nick me, old beauty. <laughs> Which made me laugh. I just love it. It's so perfect. Such a great uh, thing. Uh, how many crucifixions are we having today? Uh, 139, sir. Special celebration for Passover. <laughs> well, we shall make it 140. <laughs> That's Brian being added, of course. Um, we love Biggest Dickus. Biggest Dickus is classic. We've already talked a lot about Biggest Dickus, yeah. but uh, he's just, he's funny. He's pretty funny. Uh, when they're all going to crucifixion, we see again the guy in the prison cell, and he's upside down again. Uh, and now, because he, he said he'd been upside down most of the time. Now he's back upside down again, and he they're walking by with their crosses, and he screams, You! What does he say? Uh, you lucky you bastards! Jo- you lucky jobby bastards! Um, oh, and the rich guy uh, in the crucifixion who's mad that he's not being crucified in a Jewish only section uh, because the. Uh, Michael Palin shows up in there as a Samaritan. <laughs> I thought we were guaranteed that we would be crucified in a Jewish-only area. Yeah, that whole thing goes. That whole thing is pretty ridiculous. And of course, then when we have the I'm Brian's, I'm Brian, I'm Brian, I'm Brian. That's that Spartacus. rich guy goes, I'm Brian, and so is my wife. Yeah. <laughs> uh. And yeah, I guess my last point was, and I mentioned earlier, is that there's more with Otto in the deleted scenes. So seek out the Criterion DVD and check that out. So those are my bits and bobs, Brendan. Well, there's your bits and bobs, Jason, and um, we need to get into this behind-the-scenes stuff because, as you may guess, a movie made in 1979 that is perhaps critical of religion in some form or another made some waves. It did. Um, this, uh, this, uh, so, on its initial release in the UK, 
The movie was banned by several town councils, but the most hilarious thing about this, Jason, is that yeah. some of them, some of these town councils that banned the movie had no uh, theaters to even play it. <laughs> so they just like did it as like a as like a showing of unity, I guess. Um, they even said that the, they even admitted that the council had not seen the film. Yeah, and that they based their opinion on what they've been told by a uh, an evangel evangelical Christian base called the Na- Nationwide Festival of Light. Certainly the most trustworthy, right? Um, in New York. Uh, because it actually was released in the U.S. before hmm. uh, the U.K. Um, the screenings were picketed by both rabbis and nuns. As Michael Palin observed, nuns with banners. Yeah, and actually it's funny because, um, uh, who was it here? Um, it was banned from Ireland for eight years. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and in this, so all these different, like, religious groups got to get to protest this movie. And, and uh, Terry Gilliam uh, was quoted as saying, I, I thought at least getting the Catholics, Protestants, and Jews all protesting against our movie was a fairly ecumenical, was fairly ecumenical on our part. We achieved something useful. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, the movie banned in Ireland for eight years, banned in Norway for a year. And in fact, in Sweden, they marketed it as the movie so funny it was banned in Norway. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, and in Finland, they actually had to put a text at the beginning of the movie explaining that this film is a parody of a Hollywood historical epics. Interesting. Yeah, Monty Python also did a song called Finland. Oh, there Finland, you go. Finland, Finland, you're the country for me, riding ponies in the mountains. <laughs> in the UK itself, though, there was a lady named Mary Whitehouse. Oh, yes, oh, the, yes I've heard of Mary the Whitehouse. Bu- the building is named after her. She is, uh, she is one of the most like arch-conservative like, activists of Britain's history, I suppose. Well, she put out these leaflets basically saying that the movie's representation of the... Uh, uh, basically against the movie's repre- representation of the New Testament. Uh, for example, she said, it is deplorable how they would depict the three wise men as having gone to the wrong uh, stable at first. Like, yeah. having gone to see Brian instead of Jesus. Like, that is, oh, just destroy... You know what they are to me, Jason? This <laughs> feels to me like when nerds are really upset that there's like a slight change to the comic book movie. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's what it is to me. As a Star Trek fan, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, what was interesting to me, and this is a little fact that I want to mention. Um, so the actress that played J- uh, Judith Iscariot in this movie, yeah. uh, in the late 2000s, she was elected mayor of a British town, uh, which has a name that is, I believe, unpronounceable to me. It's okay. like a- Abelsford or something like that. But um, So she was elected to mayor of this town. And when she was elected to the mayor, she found out that this town, 30 years before, had banned... Monty Python's Life of Brian from being shown in the town. But interestingly, it wasn't banned because of the religious content of it. It was banned because of her nude scene. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, of course, when she became mayor, she set to and she unbanned the movie and then yeah. they had a big screening and made a big deal out of it. And it was a cool thing. You could so, see my, my, my bits. Yeah, you could see my, my bush and uh, appreciate that maybe perhaps today I trim it more. You know, I don't know. You, you don't know. know. I'm not going to show you. You know what? I think the nudity, her nudity in the movie was very tasteful. It was. It was. They, they, did, they did the whole hair draping down, covering the ghiblies. It's funny. Yeah, well, but that's the thing. It's like we, we see her bush, but we don't see her, her uh, titties. No, that's inappropriate. But we see Brian's dick. We do. And I don't know. You know what? That's, no, that's refreshing. It, it is refreshing. Because I think a lot of sure. times now it's very like male gaze focused. It's been a while since forgetting Sarah Marshall. Right? Yeah. Yeah, we didn't see any boobs in that. Nope. Just a big old just a dick. 
I think you're giving Jason uh, a lot of credit. He had a big dick. He had a pretty big dick. I think maybe they CG'd it. I I think that's why he wanted to show probably. It. Yeah. He was he, the writer. He of the wanted movie. to pull a Milton Berle. Jason. He was the writer of the movie. <laughs> But apparently he actually did get broken up with while he was naked. That oh. was based on a real thing. Oh, okay. So I think that's hilarious. Why wouldn't you put that in a movie? But anyway, we're not talking about Jason Siegel. <laughs> we're we're talking about all the dick. dicks and lack of boobs in this movie. Also, and now maybe I'm crazy, and, and I, maybe I didn't look too close, but I'm pretty sure that uh, Graham Chapman was uncircumcised, which would be a problem for a Jewish person. <laughs> okay, listen, I didn't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember. I'll go back and look if you want you me should. to. You should. You should zoom in and, and let me know what you see. Um, but... Uh, what I wanted to say is the director of this movie, Terry Jones. Mm-hmm. So unlike um, Holy Grail, where Terry Gilliam actually did some of the... It was know, a it was a co-directing. Co-directing. Yeah. This is just Terry Jones. It's just Terry Jones. Um, and Terry Jones said this to, uh, in response to the criticism. Any religion that makes a form of torture into an icon that they worship seems to me a pretty sick sort of religion, quite honestly. Yeah. Because their, their point, I think, throughout all this was that this movie wasn't blasphemy. No. Blasphemy is when you, like, take the Lord's name in vain, when you're like... Uh, fucking like like when you're making fun of Jesus or God or whatever, like you're you're specifically taking on that, and and they argued that that's not what they were doing. They were arguing, well, most of them. Cleese doesn't think this is the case, but most of them argued that this is heresy. They're they're making fun of the church. Well, they're looking at the systems, the people, everything around it, but not the man himself. They don't make fun of Jesus in this movie. Yeah, no, they present him in a very positive light in the yeah. few in the one. Are arguably two scenes he's in. Positive or at least the conventional view of Jesus, yes. And even like Eric Idle said, it's a heresy. And uh, Terry Jones said, of course it's a heresy. John, responding to John Cleese. Yeah. Well, it's attacking the church and that has to be heretical. And John Cleese would say, it's not attacking the church necessarily. It's about people who cannot agree with each other. Yes. And and there is that absolutely in that. I think both of their points of view are valid. Both those things are in the movie. At the time, there was, of course, we talked about the religious groups, did yeah. not care for this movie. There was a gentleman named Malcolm Muggridge. Yes, M- Muggridge is an interesting character because he was a like a, a comedic satirist who at some point found God he, and well, became and an evangelical. He met Mother Teresa. Yeah. That's what happened. And, and from then on, he was, you know, one of those Bible-thumping folks. I assume that uh, based on what I know of uh, the Teresa via Christopher Hitchens, she probably cut him a check. <laughs> Mother Teresa, guys... Google that. Yeah, look into that. Because uh, not who you think she her is. Her reputation precedes her, I'll say that. Much like Gandhi, yeah. a lot more problematic than you think. A lot, lot more going on there. Yeah. But yeah, Muggridge, uh, Malcolm Muggridge was, and Mervyn Stockwood, who was the Bishop of Southwark, uh, they had a, a televised debate with John Cleese and Michael Palin, yeah. who I think are interesting choices to portray the Pythons. It's probably mm-hmm. the best choices, honestly. Oh, yeah. Um, Certainly the most well-spoken, I would I mean, say. no slight against Eric Idle, no. but I feel like Michael Palin and John Cleese are both very educated men. Oh, and they all are, absolutely. Yeah. They've, they've all went to Oxford and, and uh, Cambridge, so they're definitely educated men, and all of them. Palin's definitely there because he's the nice guy. Yes. But anyway, they have this televised debate, and you're, you'll just hear Malcolm Muggridge here, like the, the, the cardinal or the... Whatever no, he he's is, he's the, the uh, he's he's a uh, the, the bishop is not Malcolm. Malcolm is no, no, but talk about the other guy. Yeah, the bishop. He's like the bishop or whatever. You won't hear him. You'll just hear Malcolm Muggridge um, arguing with Cleese and Palin. You'll hear Palin get a little bit upset here. Actually, is one of the few times. And uh, just listen to them debate the the film. You keep making the basic assumption that we are ridiculing Christ and Christ's teaching. And I say that we are not. But do you imagine that your scene, for instance, of the Sermon on the Mount, the scene in this, in your your film of the Sermon on the Mount, right. is not ridiculing one of the most sublime utterances that any human being has ever spoken on this earth 
course it is. No, no, it's Absolute making fun not. of the guy who's remembered it wrong and of the people who don't mm. understand it and miss mm. the point. Well, I think, I that think that's really unfair because I think that a lot of people looking in will think that we have, we have actually ridiculed Christ yes. physically. Christ is played by an actor, Ken Colley. He speaks the words... Um, from the Sermon on the Mount. It's treated absolutely respectfully. The camera then pans away. We go to right to the back of the crowd to someone who shouts, speak up, mm. because they cannot hear him. <laughs> now, I mean, if that utterly, no, no, that that utterly no, undermines that one's faith in Christ, no, no, then I think faith can be turned I started off by saying that this is such a 10th rate film that I don't believe that it would disturb yes, I know you anybody's started with an open faith. mind. I realise that. I, I, I <laughs> All you've done is well, to make a lot of people on a cross singing a music, a, a, a music hall song. Right? I mean, people, it's so disgusting when you think of it. A lot of see? people go away very happy, laughing at that, their faith not touched one jot. I don't think I it'll really touch do. Your faith. I, I, I don't think it will. You have succeeded in reducing something which has inspired the greatest art into something which is presented in terms of the lowest art. You That's your well, feet. That's so you your set up your own terms that we have to influence people. We're not saying we want to influence no, people. I don't. We're trying to make them laugh, make yes. them happy. I mean, yes. it's, it's, that's something that helps. Gentlemen, I'm going to have to call a whole time. I'm very sorry. What's interesting about that, too, is that if you watch that whole interview, like, the Bishop and, and Malcolm Muggeridge are very, like, flippant and, and very shitty to the Pythons. And the Pythons are very calmly explaining their position with the whole thing. It's a weird kind of switch from what you would expect. Very calmly treating the whole thing with respect yeah. and dignity. And it's funny because both of them later felt like it was a weird role reversal. They yeah. said, we showed up expecting us to get out of line yeah. and them to be very stern. But it was very much a flip. Yeah. Of, like, them being just these ridiculous statements. Having, by the way, uh, uh, just a little behind the scenes of this debate, apparently when Malcolm Muggeridge and that bishop actually watched the movie, mm. they showed up 15 minutes late. Well, they so the they missed bit. the fact that it established that it is not Jesus. Yeah, it's very clear right or, from the start. Or they said they missed the first 15 minutes so they could appeal to their base. Yeah. This again, politics, Jason. Yeah. This fucking still happens today. Yeah, absolutely, I and mean, that's the thing. Is like, yeah, this is definitely still happening today, and it's crazy. It's crazy. That, but but also, it's good that discussion happens, and and that that is a good thing. And we should have lots of that. But uh, some people are just dumb, aren't they? Right. It's it's just like context, 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 context. Well, and it's funny about this because this controversy just led to the movie making more money. Like uh, like so many controversies. Like uh, John Cleese uh, is quoted as saying, "They actually made me rich." I feel we should send them a crate of champagne or something. In, at, at the box, at the <laughs> yeah. American box office, it made five times its money back and more. It made tw- right. cost four million dollars. It made twenty point seven million. Damn. That's a win. That's so a I win. mean, thanks, thanks, guys. Um, I do want to play uh, because in the original British and Australian release of this movie, they had a, a spoof like travel log, <laughs> and John Cleese was like uh, the narrator of it. So I do want to play a little clip of that. I don't think I've ever heard this before, Brendan. I'm excited. Well, here you go. It's called Away From It All. Here it's roses, roses all the way. A land of simple happiness where we can sample true color and contentment. Here there's gaiety and spontaneity in abundance. Nobody's told these merry folk that they're out of pace with modern streamlined living. The simple life hasn't started. And today they're crowning a queen in this little village. Hard to believe, isn't it, that these simple, happy folk are dedicated to the destruction of Western civilization as we know it. 
that these idyllic scenes are just a transparent charade arranged for our cameras by a propaganda department in reality bent on oppressing every aspect of spontaneity in a once happy and free people. This isn't the kind of place for us. No way, squire. Peace and tranquility, my arse. Take one photograph of the wrong building here and they're taping electrodes to your reproductive organs. <laughs> what? Why was that in there? I don't know, but it was it was just this stock travelogue footage that they had, <laughs> and it featured comments from John Cleese. That's fun. That's fun. And it's funny because you think about like Life of Brian, uh, not Life of Brian, Meaning of Life opens up with this uh, short film called The Crimson Permanent Assurance. Well, here's the thing, too, because that may have gone on gone with this, because that was before uh, Meaning of Life, the yeah, Crimson yeah, and, Permanent. And, but that figures into the movie later. I don't know right. what this does. No, it does not. No. <laughs> but they were making fun of, uh, there was, I guess, a common practice at the time in Britain that they showed these like cheaply made banal shorts uh, oh. before the movies. And so they were just making this, like, you know, taking this real footage and just making it something that it's clearly not. Yeah, and just adding his, uh, John Cleese's ridiculous narration. Like, like guys, while you're watching that movie, it's literally just ladies throwing, like, flowers everywhere. Yeah, like it's, it's, it's the stockest of stock footage. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. That is great. I'm glad you pulled that. Oh. Wow. But Jason, we, we talked a lot about Life of Brian. We didn't even really get into a lot about the jokes, which is I think points to how strong this movie is. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we, the, the, he's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy. Like, there's so many great lines and biggest <laughs> yeah. dickest. Like, there's so many so many great jokes in this movie. And, I mean, we talked about Monty Python before. We talked about uh, the Holy Grail. So, I mean, we don't get into a lot of the backstory of Monty Python here. Mm-hmm. But... I guess at this point, um, I don't have anything to say awards-wise. Yeah. Because, no, of course not. This was not appreciated at the time as no. much as it is now. It's certainly not by critics. No. Um, or, I mean, I think they really liked it, but there wasn't, like, awards contention. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was a popular movie. I mean, like, movie, Airplane but... getting nominated for yeah. something, right? It's Which, like it should have. It should have, of course. Of course it should have. Writing. Yeah. Directing. Honestly. So many things. Still one of the greatest comedies. And it's one of those things that, like, it's proof that sometimes movies take time to really find their cultural place. And Airplane yeah. is a good example. And Life of Brian, I suppose, is a and, good example. And Drag Me to Hell. Drag Me to Hell. <laughs> of course. Why hey, not? you know what? I don't care. I'll defend that movie to my dying day. <laughs> is that a Sam Raimi movie? Hell yeah, it is. Fucking right. It's a great movie. Nice. Uh, so yeah, I don't have anything else to say there. So Jason, I'm assuming you don't recommend this movie and you put it at the bottom of the list. English patient, you're back in. Burn this movie. No, certainly not. This movie is is the best Monty Python movie, bar none. Oh. I love Holy Grail. Okay. Don't get me wrong. Holy Grail is a fucking classic and everybody should watch it. But at the end of the day, if you had to watch one Monty Python movie, this is the one to watch. Uh, Meaning of Life is good, but it's it's much looser and 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 much more disjointed. And, um, and now for something completely different. It's just an assembly of sketches from the TV show that if you've watched it, you've already seen. Everything in Meaning of Life makes me laugh. Yeah. But I'm also like, I don't feel like I'm watching a full movie. Yeah, I mean, watch it. Absolutely watch it. Yeah. But like literally, if you were gun to your head and you had to only watch one Monty Python movie, this is the one to watch. This does everything they want to do. It has their humor. It is in their most coherent form. And it is deserved to be on this list. Maybe even higher than it is but absolutely is the python film that should be on this list oh i'm gonna say it right now i'm gonna spoiler alert this i think out of this group that we're in right now mm-hmm. i think this shot to the top of my list oh yeah it's, it's definitely up there it's 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 incredibly well made mm-hmm. it's there's clearly time and effort has gone into just the, even the look of this movie yeah. the humor is top notch mm-hmm. the satire is there the still still topical so relevant sad to say but it's yeah. still relevant um and and it's just 
it's just, yeah, I was actually going to ask you because we talked about Holy Grail and I know you made the case for it to be on this list, but mm. gun to your head, this is the one that yeah. goes on. 100%. Absolutely. Okay. It, it was the right choice on the BFI's uh, uh, part. I agree. I agree. If they had to go with one. And, and I mean, you kind of, I mean, when you think about it, you know, you have a hundred movies to put on this list. You got to, you got to sometimes narrow it down. I mean, it's, it's easy to say we could just knock the English patient off again and put this movie on or, or rather put uh, Holy Grail on. But uh, yeah, no, this one needs to be there. And again, I go back to the argument of like, do we need this many David Lean films? Probably mm-hmm. not. Like, I think we have a good estimate of David Lean's worth. Goddamn movies. They've, they've all been good so far. I mean, I guess we still have Oliver Twist to see, but. I'm sure it'll be great. I'm sure it'll be fine. Maybe it'll be next week. Maybe. But yeah, obviously we both love this movie. Yes. Um, but Jason, now speaking of what will be next week, we're it's at that moment. Time to find out. It's Tab. And I believe it's it- Tab. It's Vader Tab. It's Vader rolling dice. Time. We haven't done that in a while. No. So Jason, we are now going to roll the dice and find out what number on the BFI Top 100 that we are going to talk about next week. That's what we're going to find out. We're going to roll the dice, we're going to get the number, and then we're going to read the movie that is associated with that number. I have a physical list printed out in front of me here with all the ones we've watched crossed off. We've got a few left, so... uh... And I have two D10s, a 10s D10 and a regular D10, so we're going to find out right now. Let's let's do this. This may go on for 15 minutes, folks. Let's see. I might have to cut this down. Hey, we're in the 50s. Got right. anything there? Uh, one oh. or two. 54. We already watched Brazil. Okay. All right, we'll watch it again. <laughs> Let's try this one more time. Okay. 60. 60. All right. God, damn it, carry on with the Kyber. Come on. 66. 66. Uh, here we go, Brendan. Oh. We are going to watch next week 1970s Lionel Jeffries picture, The Railway Children. Okay. Don't know anything about it. Nothing. So I, I feel like it's a kitchen sink drama, but we'll find out. I don't think it's a kitchen sink drama. That much I don't think. I okay. think it is I think it is rated G. Okay. So I think it's a, a for the youngins. Maybe it's like a, like a little rascals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what's the, what would be the British uh alfalfa? Uh uh a a b a a uh, Alfie. <laughs> Alfie Alfie and then he got an abortion. I, I would be lo- <laughs> He got an abortion. Yeah, he did. He did. I would love if uh, Michael Caine was just in this movie as little Alfie. Hi, <laughs> I'm little Alfie. Hey, oh, hello, ladies. <laughs> hello, ladies. He's just looking at that. You just see their legs like Muppet Babies. Yeah. Hi, <laughs> wh- what's all this then? <laughs> all right, awesome. Well, shit. We we have a good back and forth of going to these like big movies and then scaling it back. So we're scaling yeah, it yeah, way back. Yeah, exactly. Because like I say, we both know very little about this. I know nothing about it. I know, Brendan only knows what he saw in I the description. only know that it's not a kitchen sink drama. All right. So we'll talk about the railway children next week. The movie, not the actual children. Now, nah, fuck them. Um, but until then, uh, Jason, they can follow us on Twitter. They can at BFI B- underscore pod. Whoa! You asked me. Don't ask. Don't act like that. That you asked me. They I can, know you normally say it. They can find us on Facebook by searching for Screen and Country. And you know we're on all the podcast apps. We're on our home base is Age of Radio. Absolutely, check us out there. www.ageofradio.org/slash/forscreenandcountry. And you can follow me, Jason McLeod, on Twitter at Jason D McLeod. Stop on by, sit down, have a spell. I don't know. Share some beans. Can we do that online? That's M A C L E O D. That is correct. And uh, Jason is not the Messiah. He's just a very naughty boy. Yes, sir. I'm very naughty. Uh, 
<sighs> yeah, but that's it. So until then, yeah. until next week when we talk about The Railway Children, mm. another movie I don't know think about, um, much like this movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> until then, I just have to say to you, God save the queen. God save the screen. And for Screen and Country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. Always look on the bright side of life. Always look on the right side of life. Do do, uh, fade the music in. If life seems jolly rotten, there's something you've forgotten, and that's to laugh and smile and dance and sing. When you're feeling in the dumps, don't be silly chumps. Just purse your lips and whistle. That's the thing. Hey. Always face the curtain with a bow. Forget about your scene. Give the audience a grin. Enjoy it. It's your last chance, anyhow. So always look on the bright side of death. Just before you draw your terminal breath. Life's a piece of shit. When you look at it, life's a laugh and death's a joke, it's true. You'll see it's all a show, keep them laughing as you go. Just remember that the last laugh is on you. And always.